following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Well, this morning, we're continuing in this series, and it's a really cool series. It's a series entitled Facing the Giants. And what the, where this series came from, as a pastor, I realized over, over years that there's certain struggles that people deal with that seem to have an ongoing setback in their lives. And these things seem to keep coming up. And so I, I sat down and really prayed, Lord, what are the biggest obstacles that set people back that happen to go on and on and on, these ongoing uh, repetitive areas? Uh, Lord, help me define and describe what they are. So I kind of prayed about this and I, I sensed what some of the main areas were. And then since then, I spoke to some other pastors and leaders, friends of mine, and asked them. I said, let me ask you, what do you think are the biggest giants in the life of a believer? What are the biggest obstacles in your perspective? So I, I gleaned from others and I came up with this list and we're going through this series on facing the giants, dealing with the things that stumble us and set us back, the things that keep us from the promises of God. And this is important because Israel, we looked at last week, had this major issue going with fear. There, there was a fear of giants in the land. So there giant was the giant of fear, and their giant kept them from the promised land. An entire generation missed out on the promises of God because of fear. Now, what what we're looking at here, the promised land is inevitably for the Christian, ultimately it's heaven. But he did promise the abundant life here on earth. Jesus said, greater things will you do. He said, go ye therefore. And he said, what you've seen me done, you do. There's an abundant life here on earth for us to walk out to serve God in the calling he has, in the gifts, in the, in the works that he's established, the Bible says, before the foundations of the world, he already had plans and works for you and I to do. If we're working in them, we are right in the zone. We are walking in the promises of God. That's where we want to be. But the devil, who is very real, will send anything and everything he can at us to hinder us from walking in the promises. And for Israel, it was fear. It was the fear, uh, the, the fear of giants And these giants will keep us away as well. Today we're looking at a different giant, not the giant of fear. Today we're looking at the giant of doubt. The giant of doubt. Uh, It's a serious enough giant to stop and identify and to recognize and to learn how do we navigate, how do we take out this giant of doubt. Um, Where fear tends to frighten the heart and keep us still and paralyzed, this other giant the giant of doubt tends to affect us in the mind. Fear frightens our heart. Doubt comes in and creeps into the mind and, and causes a paralysis. It causes us to stop where we are and to doubt and question and not move forward. Uh, doubt has been um, defined as our state of mind when we're unable to choose. We're at a quandary. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do, so we just go nowhere. There's no promised land in that. If we're going to walk out the promises of God, we're moving forward in faith, there's momentum in the life of a believer, and if we stop because we don't know what to do, and we're just stuck because we're in a place of doubt, there is no future in that. So that's what doubt causes us to do. Another definition is a status between unbelief and disbelief. Think about that. Unbelief or disbelief. Either, no, I don't believe that, so I can't move forward, or I'm so confused, I don't know what to believe. But either way, we stop and we don't move forward in faith, walking in the promises of God. And this giant of doubt 
causes folks like you and I, others, to stop in our tracks, and it actually has been the downfall of many. There have been many that it was a time in their life to move forward, to step out in the promises of God, to step out in faith, but they didn't because of doubt. Because of this place of, I don't know what to do, I'm just going to do nothing, I don't know where God is, I'm just staying right here. It's been the downfall. The Bible is full of stories of people who got stuck because of their doubt. And we're going to be looking at some of those this morning. In fact, the first one I want to bring up um, is in the book of Genesis, right in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. It tells us that the devil was more crafty than all the others. Crafty. Thinking of ways that he can sneak in. This is, this is the modality. And what he wanted to do from the very beginning, and they're in a land of promise. They're in the Garden of Eden. This is great. There were no weeds in the land. You know, after the fall, there was weeds and they had to toil and work the land. This is a glorious, beautiful place to be. They're in this garden. Everything's going great. The devil comes along and says, how can I take away the promise? I can't take away the promise, but I can sow seeds of doubt. So that's exactly what he did. He came along and he comes to Eve and he sowed seeds of doubt. And what he said to Eve right from the beginning is, now did God really say that? I mean really? <laughs> I, I know he kind of said, but did he, did he really say that? I mean, is that what he really meant? Certainly he didn't really mean that for you. He didn't really expect you to do that now, did he? course, you're human and you have, you just want to have fun and you want to, he didn't really mean that for you, did he? And that's how the giant of doubt began. It didn't begin as a giant, it began as a seed. And that's where all doubt begins. See, doubt doesn't come in like a wave that just hits you and broadsides you and knocks you down. Doubt enters our life as a seed, a seed of doubt. And if we don't recognize it early, this seed grows into a weed and it can eventually become a monster. This seed of doubt came into her life, and she held on to it, and she believed it, and she pondered. The, the devil saying, did God really mean that for you? Now, surely he meant it a different way. God just didn't want you to do this, but surely you're not going to die, and certainly God couldn't have meant this. So just go on. It didn't really apply to you that way. And all of a sudden, that doubt is causing this, this, this tension in her life of, do I continue walking in faith or do I take a different road right now? That's what doubt does. And that's what happened in Eve's life. Uh, it crept in and it says, don't trust, go ahead. Lean on your own understanding. That's what doubt says. Um, so doubt, the first thing, if you're a note taker this morning, I want to note a few things about doubt so that you and I can deal with doubt when it comes up. We can take out this giant of doubt identify it, recognize it, remove it out of the way so it doesn't stop you and I from walking in faith in the promises that God has for our life. The first one is that doubt starts as a seed but grows into a weed. It starts literally really, really tiny. It's not some big monumental, enormous thing. It starts as a, as a whisper, if you will. And the whisper is not from God. But we said last week, looking at the devil, he's a mouse with a megaphone. I think when we get to heaven, looking back, we're going to go, I thought he was bigger than that. Um, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But he's like a mouse with a megaphone. Surely he didn't mean that for you. That doesn't apply to you. That's for them. That's not for you. You deserve better than that. It starts as this little, little seed of an idea, a seed of a doubt. And when we hold on to it, it creeps in. 
It says you don't have to trust. You can lean on your own understanding right now. It says, I guess it's time to just take things in my own hands. That seed of doubt says, I guess it's time to do things my way. It's a doubt demonically whispers, I guess God doesn't care right now. Has anybody ever thought that? Let's have some honesty in the house of God. Maybe God's not seeing my situation, right? Yes, that's doubt. That's not from the Spirit of God. I think God doesn't care right now. God's not answering my prayers. Any more on that one? God's not answering my prayers. That's not the Spirit of God saying that to you. That is the demonic voice of doubt. The devil going, sure, that's right. He's not answering your prayers right now. You just handle it on your own. That's what he does. That's where it begins. And it is so important. Sometimes we think, well, in this situation, God can't help. God can help with these things, but this, I got to be about my business. This is my area. Really? What is not God's area? It's all God's area. We got to include him in all of our God's area. If if you have your word with you, your Bible or on your phone, 2 Corinthians 10.5, please open there and look at this because we're looking at a few scriptures, but this to me is the best tool, the best machete to take out the giant of doubt, to eliminate the giant of doubt in your life. We're going to look at some other snapshots in scripture, but this is the biggest, uh, I think, uh, snapshot of clarity on how you and I deal with this giant of doubt. Remember, the seed of doubt, which we said it is a seed, it's an idea, it's a thought, it always starts as a thought before it's an action. Before sin is fully conceived, it happens, it begins in the mind or the heart. It's something we hold on to, we think, or we, we work it out and we finally act on it. That's where it comes from. So we gotta know where it begins. It begins as a seed. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Please underline that in your Bible. Eat like stew on this all week. Just this scripture right here. This is so profound. There is so much victory in the life of a believer over this one scripture. This is how powerful this is. This is saying there are arguments. They start as a seed, as an idea, as a thought. Don't know where it came from, but there's this thought. And all of a sudden, if I hold on to it long enough, it's like one of those bad top 40 songs that plays in rotation that you can't stand, right? That's what happens. But it stays in rotation and it keeps going around. Here's the problem. The Spirit of God did not give you that thought. That's not the Word of God or the Spirit of God. God's not the author of it. But somehow, someway, it got in there. Somehow, someway, it's in rotation. Your heart is stewing on it or your mind is stewing on it. This is what happens. No one's exempt. This is what it says. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What is God's knowledge on a topic? What is God saying? What is the spirit of God saying? And what is this argument, this pretension that is rising itself up against the counsel of God? Does this make sense? In other words, God is saying one thing. The spirit of God is saying one thing. Yet there's a legitimate argument going on, some pretension, don't know where it came from, in the mind or the heart, but it's rising itself up and it's setting itself up against the knowledge of God. And that's what's going on on the inside. And if you and I don't reckon with it right away, it perpetuates and it tends to build momentum. And there are some that begin to stew on things and hold on to them for a long time and it sows seeds of bitterness. The Bible talks about things that when we don't forgive or when we're you know, brewing things in our heart, how things are manifest. The Sermon on the Mount is all about 
where we're at with things before we even act on them, that if we even think things in our heart. This is saying, this is what we do. The context of this we'll talk about more later in the, in the topic of spiritual warfare. He's talking about where these thoughts come from and when they arrive and when they get there, because they will. No one's exempt, I'm not exempt, you're not exempt. These thoughts will come up. But when these arguments and these pretensions, when they come and they try to set themselves up against the knowledge of the Most High God, he says, no, we recognize them and we demolish them. We demolish, listen to what he says, we take captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ. I love that thought, take it captive, almost like the old King Kong movies. Who remembers the old school King Kong? Anybody? Old school King Kong? Yeah. He's like up on the Empire State Building and those biplanes are running around. He's just grabbing them from the sky and just throwing them to the ground. Remember that? He's climbing. That's the visual of you and me taking a thought captive because it's buzzing around, snatching it from the sky and tossing it to the ground. Not letting it stay in rotation, just playing and playing and going round and round and round because the longer we do, it's going to take a deeper root in our heart and we're more apt to act on it. But this is saying, no, we demolish the arguments and the pretensions, anything that rises itself up against the knowledge of God and we actually take every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. In other words, what did Jesus say? What is the spirit of God really saying? Because that voice I'm hearing is not the spirit of God. It's rising itself up against his knowledge. Therefore, I have to take that thought and cast it down. And I just want to tell you something. We talked about the giant of fear last week. The giant of doubt, the biggest, most definitive way to take out the giant of doubt is exactly right here. It starts as a seed. Identify, cast it down. If you cast it down right away, this little seed will never grow into a big weed. It will never turn into a monster in your life. But... But if you let the seed germinate, if you let it stay in rotation, if you go to sleep on it, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger, for example. You can let this, things start to germinate, things start to grow, and things start to manifest on a whole different level. The Bible's given us an amazing tool, a key to the kingdom of God, how you and I can be victorious over this giant. Don't let this giant have a place in your life this way. So look at that one later, look at it anymore. But if we let these thoughts run wild and we don't pull them in and take control of them, we too will be in the same place. Uh, speaking of pulling in the reins, so to speak, I don't know if any of you have ever ridden on a, on a fast horse. Has anybody ever ridden on a fast horse? Yeah, when you go to rent a horse, you know, if you go to the stables, the first thing they ask you is, are you beginner, intermediate, or advanced? And a lot of people move it up one notch because they think they're going to get a better horse. That's not what you want to do. You don't want to say you're advanced thinking you're going to get a better horse. What they're doing when they say that, if you're a beginner, they're going to give you a horse called Lazy Boy, okay? It's like a Lazy Boy sofa, okay? I mean, that horse is consistent. It's never going to run. You're going to be safe and sound on the Lazy Boy. If you're intermediate, they'll give you a horse that's pretty well-tempered, but once in a while, you have to take authority and control that horse because sometimes they want to go back to the stable, But if you're advanced, they're going to give you a horse. It might be fast, but it usually doesn't listen that well. You need to control that horse. That's why when they say advanced, don't go, yeah, I'm advanced, because they're going to give you a horse that you have to control, otherwise that horse will control you. When I was uh, younger, I lived in New York City until I was 14, and my father wisely found a way to get us out of the city from time to time, probably for our sanity and survival. Uh, But one place was upstate New York. He had a friend who had a 
uh, like a farmhouse out there, and he had horses. And so we went up there one weekend, and there was this really enormous horse. I mean, it, was, it wasn't because I was young. It's because this horse was huge. It towered over all these other horses, a big gray horse called Mo. And he said, does anybody want to ride Mo? And I was going to ride Mo. I'm looking around. Everyone's like, I don't want to ride Mo. And I'm like, why doesn't anybody want to ride Mo? Mo looks like a big, strong, fun horse. No one wanted to ride Mo. I'm like, I'll, I'll ride Mo. I'll give him a shot. So I said, I'm, I'm advanced, intermediate, whatever. <laughs> Mistake. I get on Mo. I start galloping. Mo, by the way, I got on Mo. Mo took off like a shot. I didn't even have time to grab the reins. I'm like grabbing onto the front, you know, the, the, and I'm like, and, and all of a sudden the horse is ripping through the trees. I'm ducking and holding on. I'm literally getting all scraped up. This horse is on a, on a rampage, right? So he goes down about a half a mile. He turns around and starts heading back. I am hanging on for my life. I mean, I'm like, everything is flopping. It's like G-force, you know what I mean? I'm white as a ghost. But then here's the problem. Not only could I not control Mo, I realized, this is crazy, I realized things were changing quick as my saddle was starting to move. And I'm like, please don't tell me this is happening right now. And as it's moving, I'm thinking, you know what? The law of physics is going to say any moment now, I'm either going to be under the horse or something bad's going to happen. And as the saddle is moving more and more, I'm finally over to here. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to have to bust a move. I'm either going to have to let go and fall and tumble in, the, in this hay and this, this tall weeds or you know, just hang on, but this is not going to look good. I finally got about three quarters over, and I just said, here goes, and I let go. I figured they did it in the cowboy movies, you know. <laughs> I tumbled a bunch, you know, um, and this horse kept on running, and when I came off, that saddle went right underneath the horse, and it started to kick in the buck as it was hitting the saddle. They finally got Mo under control, and they brought Mo back to the stable. I was scared to death. I wasn't hurt, but I was scared, and I realized something. I wasn't able to pull in the reins. I wasn't able, because anybody, even if, if you were strong enough, you can grab those reins on any horse and really pull, and you can reel in and harness that horse. But I wasn't able to do that with this big horse. The point is, it's the same thing. You and I have to take captive. You and I have to pull back the reins. When there's a thought going on, if we don't pull it back, it will run with us, and it will pull us through weeds it will pull us through stickers. It might drop us off in the weeds at some point like it did with me. But if you and I can't pull the reins and pull it back quickly, that's how quick. Now, if I got on that horse and immediately pulled back the reins hard, I guarantee the ride would have been different. So the reality is, guys, take every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. It won't grow into a monster. It won't turn out uh, the wrong way. Um, moving on on this giant of doubt, if you have your Bibles again, Matthew chapter 14, we're looking at a few passages. These are really insightful regarding doubt, how doubt manifests in our life, how we, how we deal with doubt. Uh, Matthew 14, uh, verse 28, this is a snapshot. Jesus was just on the other side of Galilee. He told the apostles, go ahead without me. They get out on the boat, they're out in the middle of the the lake and this storm kicks up. If you've been to Israel, surrounded by mountains, you can have storms come in quickly and you won't even see them coming because of the mountain range. You won't even see the storm coming. But sure enough, you can hit with a horrendous storm very quickly. It says in verse 24, uh, the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, 
If it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is a really cool snapshot. You know, Peter gets a bad rap for sinking here, but let's give him a little credit. Can we give him a little credit, Peter? You know, he's the only guy on the planet other than Jesus that knows what it's like to walk on the water. Okay, even if it's for a couple of minutes. I, I salute the guy for that. I mean, come on. Everyone was scared to death. He's like, Jesus, if it's you, I'm willing. You just say it and I'm going to come. I know this is crazy. This is going to go one of two ways, either really, really bad or really, really good. It's going to be a story no matter what. He's like, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. That's radical conviction. That's radical faith. And that needs to be noted. That's, that's uh, salutable right there. But before we go on with the passage, I want you to really... Search your heart on this. Where is God calling you in this season of your life to get out of the boat? Where is he calling you to get out of the boat? Where is God calling you to walk on water, so to speak? Not literally go out to Venice Beach and start, you know, running across the top. But literally, in this season of your life, where you're at, in the calling of God, what he's doing in your life around you, it's by faith. Anything not done in faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The whole journey is by faith, but the giant of doubt will hold you and me back with thoughts and paralysis, if you will. Where is God calling you to get out of the boat? Where is God calling you to walk on water? There's going to be a prayer opportunity at the end where our prayer team is going to come up. We want to pray with you because there are areas in our life. If you are really sensitive to the Spirit of God, there are areas in your life that He is calling you to get out of the boat. He's calling me to get out of the boat. He's calling me to go forward. It's like, well, I already thought I got out of the boat. Not far enough. Go further. You know, we got to get out of the boat. Jesus is calling us out. Think about what those areas are. There'll be a point of prayer. But Peter did. He got out of the boat, and he did well. He started in faith. It says, though, that when he saw the storms, when he started to see the wind, when he started to see the manifestation of all the craziness around him, that's when he started the doubt. It's something about seeing the confusion around us. It's something about seeing the problems for what they really are. It's something about seeing, you know, the the manifestation of the wind and the storm and the water splashing up. It's something about all that confusion that not only takes our eyes off of Jesus, but it causes us to doubt at the same time. That's exactly what happened to Peter, and it's exactly what caused them to start sinking. And I don't know what the distracting things are in your life. I don't know what the storms are. I don't know what's causing you to take your eyes maybe off of Jesus. I don't know what's causing you to focus on the storm, the manifestation of the waves and the, and the, and the wind blowing loud and you know, just everything that's going on. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's an area in your life, a, a, your job, career. Maybe it's finances. Could be matters of health. Uh, could be matters of your marriage and relationships. I don't know what those things are, but I will say, historically, those things will do the same thing they did for Peter. They will take our eyes off of Jesus, the resurrected one. It will cause us to start looking at the storm, hearing the wind, and looking at the manifestations. And that's where the doubt begins, and that's where we begin to sink. 
just like Peter, that's where we begin to sink. It's not that there's not a storm. Yes, there's a storm. But when we're looking at the storm, when we're staring at it, when we're focusing on the wind and the waves and the splashing and the volume, when we start looking at those things, our eyes aren't on Jesus and we begin to sink. Doubt causes this. And throughout the Bible, there are so many snapshots of people who their doubt caused them to stop, to hesitate, and retreat. In fact, the whole uh, picture we get from the Old Testament of the Israelites wandering in the desert, the whole story, again and again, God would meet them and provide, but moments later in the next scene, before long, they start to doubt again. And we see again and again that they go on moping and groping and coping. The Israelites, again, moping and groping and coping because of their doubt. And in this state right here, Peter's doing the same thing. He's looking at Jesus, he's walking on water, and then he starts to hear, he starts to look, his eyes are off of Jesus, and he begins to go down. I want to ask you this, do you believe in the middle of your storm? Do you believe that God is still there? I mean, do you believe it? I know we're supposed to know that, but do you believe in your heart, do you really, really believe with a true profound conviction that no matter what your storm, God Almighty is still there? Do you believe that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, always present? Do you believe that he will never leave or forsake you? I mean, do you believe that? Because you gotta believe, you gotta know that. If you don't know that, we gotta go back and camp out there for a while. You gotta know that God will never leave or forsake you. He told that to Israel. Jesus told that to his church, his bride. He will never leave or forsake you. This is really important. Um, there's, a, there's a term that comes up in Numbers chapter 11. It also comes up in Isaiah. It comes up again and again when people would begin to doubt. When the people of God would begin to doubt on what God was going to do and the doubt wasn't taken captive, it started to grow and manifest in their lives. And it was about to hinder them from the promise. What was said by Moses and it was said by Isaiah to the people who were beginning to doubt, saying, has the arm of the Lord been shortened? Is his arm any shorter now that he could do all those great things and he can't do it for you? Is God now limited in his capacity? Does he not see your situation? Is he in a place where he just can't help you anymore, but he used to be able to? No, the arm of the Lord has not been shortened. The arm of the Lord will never be shortened. God is capable, he is able Uh, He is always able. And right here in this scene, we see it because what we see is Jesus reaches out his hand because the arm of the Lord has not been shortened. And he takes Peter and he pulls him back up. And he says to him, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Our second point this morning is that our, our faith overcomes, but our doubting can lead to drowning. Our doubting will lead to drowning. At some point, you're going to start taking on water. As a believer, in some kind of way, you're going to start taking on water, so will I. Our faith overcomes, but doubting can lead to drowning. It did in Peter's life. It will in ours. One thing I can't leave out on the other side of this, right in this passage, when they get to the other side of the lake, the first thing they did is they got out of the boat and they worshipped him. What did they do? They worshipped him. Bible says worship God only. That's my point. They worshipped him. You can't worship an angel. You can't worship a prophet. You can't worship a teacher, a healer, a miracle worker. You can only worship the living God. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? And so he is God's son. He's God in flesh. And there's the beauty of it that he actually didn't say, get up, don't worship me. I'm just a prophet. I'm just, a, I'm just the, uh, the Messiah. No, 
He's God in flesh. He can forgive sins. He does everything that the Father does, the Son does, including forgive sins, which only God can do. He does all these things. He receives worship. But the point I want to make on that is sometimes when we're going through a problem of doubt and confusion and storms of life, the first thing they did in their first opportunity is to get into his presence, to get in the presence of God and worship him. There's something profound about the worship, the reality of worship, the power of worship, and what happens in a place of worship. But I believe it's when things become most clear in your life. Things become most clear in that place of worship. If you haven't understood worship or developed a worship life, I encourage you to to continue to grow in understanding what worship is. Uh, Jesus said, the Father seeks worshipers, the ones who worship in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for worshipers. There's a relationship, there's an intimacy to be had with the living God. Through a place and a time of worship, the first thing they did after their storm is be still in his presence, fall at his feet, and spend some time in worship. Very, very revealing. Um, if you're going through a storm and you got things and you're looking at wave and wind, I want to encourage you, stop and be in a place of worship. It is another and amazing reality of overcoming doubt in your life. Things become so clear in the place of worship. I can't tell you how many times in my life, and just a place of worship, no intention, no motive, just to give God glory and to be still in his presence, that in that place, God changed things. God gives clarity. He gives revelation. That's what he does. When you're in his presence, things happen. That's a reality. And so these guys, right after the storm, soon as they get to dry land, the first thing they do is they get down and they worship him and they stay in that place. It's beautiful. Uh, That's the third point this morning is that worshiping in spirit is the best cure for doubting in the flesh. Worshiping in the spirit is the best cure for our doubts in the flesh. Our flesh will doubt. Our mind will come up with things. We'll second guess. We'll wonder and We'll be tossed back and forth with, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that. There's a place of worship that just settles everything. It just levels the playing field. It's beautiful. Our last scripture this morning is James chapter 1. If you can open up there, this is an important one. James chapter 1. This is talking about our doubts as well. And from these passages we're looking at, we see two really main areas where this doubt comes up. Sometimes doubt comes up because we simply don't have the wisdom. We don't know what God wants us to do. We just don't. And so we're stuck. We're stopped. We're confused. We don't know our route. We don't know our direction. We don't know which path. And we're not moving forward in faith. We're just kind of in a place of, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of doubting what I should do right now. One area is because we simply don't know. The other area is when we do know but we don't take the steps because we don't think God's going to meet us there. Does that make sense? There's two different kinds of doubt. This is the one where you just don't know. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. Your problem isn't that you've had God's revelation and you're, you're afraid. You're, the problem is you simply don't know. It's well-intended and you know, it's genuine, but this is what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This context, again, is seeking God's direction. The context is, God, I I, got to know. need to know which way to go. Here's the context. This is saying, 
God will give you wisdom. Basically, it's saying anybody who asks for wisdom, God will give it to you. I got to say that again because I don't think everybody believes that. God will give you the wisdom you need if you ask for it. God answers this prayer. This is the will of God to give you wisdom. The will of God is to direct his children, to never leave or forsake you. He's the counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the paraclete. He comes alongside. This is what God does in our life, to give us wisdom, to direct us and to guide us. So when we pray for wisdom, God wants to honor that prayer. This is what he's saying. So regarding your prayer life, though, how you and I access the wisdom of God, how you and I get in on God's wisdom is through this vehicle of prayer. James is saying, here's the problem. The problem isn't that God won't give us wisdom. The problem is that when we ask him, we don't really believe. We don't really believe. And this is saying right here, it says, ask and don't doubt. Don't doubt. This is important because this is a a bigger component to your prayer life than you might think. You know, a lot of times like, Lord, I don't know. Maybe you want this. Maybe you want that. I don't know if you want to do this, Lord, whatever. There's no conviction in it. We're not going to God with a, with a definitive plea. We're not going with clarity. We're not going with a conviction. We're just kind of, I don't know, Lord, just kind of throwing all this stuff out there, whatever you think. And, and he's saying, no, when it comes to the wisdom of God, when it comes to wisdom from God's throne into your life, God wants to give you that wisdom. He wants to give you that wisdom. And he says he not only wants to, he will. But you have to believe when you ask and not doubt. This is amazing. It says, if we doubt in our prayer life, here's the context, our request, our petitions, our prayer life. If we have doubt in our prayer, this is what he says. This is the definition of the believer. He's talking about a believer praying to God. We are like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. It's a bad visual for a believer, isn't it? This is what James is identifying. If we doubt or when we doubt, we're all capable of this. We are, listen to this term, double-minded and unstable. You know what this double-minded word means in the Greek? It means double-souled. Double-souled, two souls going on. Really? That only had one. Yeah, but when we ask God, and we're supposed to do it in faith, but we're really doubting in what we're doing, it's like two souls going on on the inside. You guys get the visual of that? That's not what the children of God are called to be. Yet that's what we are. That's what we do. He says, we are double-minded and unstable. We are unstable. We're double-souled like two souls. And it's because when we doubt, what happens is internally, guys, we get polarized. When we doubt, we don't know what to do. We're polarized like the North Pole and the South Pole. They're polarized. That's what happens inside a believer. Instead of us knowing God, I think, is calling me this way. At least, God, I know one thing. I might not know what to do, but I do know you want to give wisdom. I do know that if I ask in faith, believing that you'll give it, you will give it. These are good. But if we go, yeah, maybe you do and maybe you don't. and I don't know. I guess, you know. When we approach our prayer that way, we are like a wave tossed on the ocean. James is saying that prayer is not an honorable one. That is a double-minded and unstable one. That is a, a, it's a double soul going on right there. And that's, that's an interesting. He's talking about a believer. The fourth point this morning is, and it's our final one, is remove, remove all doubt from your prayer. That might sound pretty tall, a tall order to some of you. It might sound pretty bold. It might sound like, well, can we actually do that? Yes, James is saying, remove the doubt from your prayer. Don't keep doubt in your prayer. Well, I don't know, God, maybe, you know. No, God, one thing I do know is you're a good God. I know that. I know I'm your child. I know I'm blood-bought through your son. 
I know that. I know my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that. I know your plans for me, Lord. You had a hope and a future. I know that. I know they're not to harm me, God. I know that. I know you supply all of my needs according to your riches. I know that. I know you give wisdom to your children, Father. I know that. I'm going to ask in profound faith for your wisdom right now, and I'm not going to doubt that you'll give it. Does that make sense? There's certain things we know he does, and we don't wander. It's not like, God, I know you want me to have that new Ferrari. No, I don't know that God wants you to have that new Ferrari. We can't name and claim our way through stuff, but there are realities in Scripture that God does want for you and I, and we have to go to him knowing that in profound faith and not doubting. Matthew 21 says, if you have faith and do not doubt, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This is Jesus' words. If you don't doubt, Jesus is saying, when you ask, this is Jesus, the resurrected one, he's telling believers, when you ask, do not doubt. Now we go, well, wait a minute. We start to get critical with that, and we we try to take apart what Jesus is saying. Put it all together. He says, whenever you ask anything according to the Father's will, it will be given to you when you ask in my name. Put the whole thesis together. You have you and I praying for God's will in our life with radical faith equals answered prayer. Remove the doubt out of it. If it's scriptural and it is the will of God, then understand what the promises are and go to the throne with a radical conviction. Go to the throne. That's why the Bible says we can go, because of what Jesus did, we can go to the throne boldly now We don't have to go in like, I don't know, am I allowed to be here? (laughs) Is this safe? No, that's not how you and I go to the throne. We come boldly like a little kid runs into their daddy sitting on on the living room couch and go, Daddy, that's how we can come boldly now to the presence of the living God because of what Jesus did and we can ask for these things. Um, These last things I want to close on, in fact, if the worship team comes up, it'd be great, but these steps, these steps of overcoming doubt These steps of dealing with doubt in our life are so important, guys. They are essential to to obtaining godly wisdom. We're never going to get the godly wisdom we need, and God knows we need it, unless we deal with doubt this way. These are essential to answered prayer. To have our prayers answered, we can't doubt. It's an enormous component in the life of a believer to have victory in our lives. And These are essential to overcoming this giant of doubt that starts as a seed and grows into a potential monster. These are really, really important. So like Jesus told Thomas in John chapter 20, he said, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. He went on to say, or blessed are those who believe yet have not seen. In other words, there's things that you and I would like a lot of proof about. We would like a lot of proof from God before we'll take the journey, and that by definition is not faith. Jesus said, if you don't have to see it and you believe it, you are blessed, specifically regarding the things of the kingdom. Some of us have a hard time doing things we don't see. Some of us, our biggest battle is not our heart, it's our mind. Some of us in our mind, that's where the, that's where the arguments are happening, that's where the doubt starts to grow, right here in the mind. And the reason we are reluctant to step out of the boat and do things is because we can't see. Closing story I want to share with you is a a family who went out for a a morning walk and they left one of their sons home. And as they went out, they went out to breakfast and when they came back to the house, much to their horrific um, surprise, the house was on fire. And the house was billowing with smoke and fire everywhere and the, the father and the wife, the kids are here, but they look at the house and their son's in there somewhere and the front door, the whole first floor, flames are coming out. There's no way to get in the house and the father's yelling out, son, son. 
And all of a sudden on the second floor balcony, through all this billowing smoke, he looks up and he, he says, son, jump, jump, son. And the son says, I can't, I can't jump, dad. And the house is burning. It's getting worse. There's no way to get in. People call the fire department. No one's there yet. He's like, son, jump. You have to jump, son. Jump now. And the son says, I can't jump, dad. I can't. And the father says, son, why? Why can't you jump? And the son says, because, father, I can't see you. And the father says, it's okay. I can see you. Jump. I can see you. And I think the Lord is telling you and I the same thing in our lives. We want to see before we make a move. We want to know with certainty. We want the proof in our mind. And yet, the land of promise in your life and in mine is going to be walked out through faith. The Father is saying, and you've got to pray and ask him what areas he's calling you to step out of the boat and to walk on water. The Father is saying, I see you. You don't see, I see you. You, don't, you just come walking. And that's the whole journey of faith. Our journey begins by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is the journey. Faith is the pathway. It never stops being the pathway. It's faith all the way till when we see him face to face. Everything that you and I get in on our lives, the promises of God, the will of God, it's all by faith. It never stops being. Don't let this giant of doubt stop you from the abundant life God has for your life. I want to close in prayer right now. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up. There are, I'm sure a message like this stirs areas of problems or dilemmas or things we're doubting. I'm not sure where God's meeting me. It's okay. We have not because we ask not. Let's go before the throne and ask God some of these things. Mighty God, we love you. I thank you for your word. I just pray for every one of us in this room, myself included, God, that we would have ongoing victory over the giant of doubt, Lord. That doubt would not have a place in our life. That doubt would not slow us down or hinder us from walking in the fullness of your will, from walking in the fullness of your spirit, to staying in step with Christ for everything that you have, Lord. You want to use us. You want to work through us, God. You want to do great and mighty things we know not of. And yet doubt will stop us and hinder us. We don't want to be double-souled. We don't want to be unstable. We want to believe that if we ask you for wisdom, you will give it. We believe, Lord God, that if there's an area in our life that comes up that tries to rise itself up against the knowledge of God, if there's an argument or a pretension that tries to rise itself up against your word, your spirit, your counsel, we grab it, we take it captive, and we cast it down. That's what we do, Lord. Let us do a new pattern in our life to be victorious in this area. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.